I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Down the block, Andrew Johnson. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. He's got the ball. Jared Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Got another special interview today with Roosters legend Craig Fitzgibbon. Uh, I'm well aware you've all let me know in my DMs that we've been having a lot of Roosters on lately, and I, uh, I'll cop that one on the chin, but when a guy like Craig Fitzgibbon, the assistant coach of the team, going for their third premiership in a row and the highest point-scoring forward of all time says he's available, I just could, I simply couldn't say no to it. Uh, it's a classic chat with Craig Fitzgibbon. He starts all the way, the start of his career in his childhood where... Um, it's it's sort of a bit of an unknown fact with Fitzgibbon nowadays, but his um his father was actually a head coach in the NRL, so he coached the Cronulla Sharks and the Illawarra Steelers. So Fitzy grew up being in change rooms, in video sessions, and you know it really gave him a big advantage when he came into grade. He just understood football. He had a great understanding of it, and it's help still helping him to this day. Uh, coaching now in the NRL as the assistant coach for the Roosters, and there's been a couple of jobs come up over the last few weeks that, you know, Craig Fitzgibbon's been, has not, his name has been thrown up for and, you know, it's a matter of time till he gets a job there. Talks about then when he came into first grade playing for the Illawarra Steelers, then they merged with the St. George Dragons and he ended up moving then to the St. George Illawarra Dragons where he played in a grand final in 1999. He scored a try in that. They lost because of the unbelievable penalty try call, just crazy scenes. Then he makes his move to the Roosters and, you know, over the next... Four years, he plays in three grand finals. He wins one premiership. He wins the Clive Churchill Medal. He just achieves everything in the game over the next few years. Plays for New South Wales, represents Australia, captains the Roosters, does everything. Finishes his career by moving over to Hull, and then comes back here to join the coaching ranks at the Sydney Roosters. And over the last two years, he's won two premierships as the assistant coach of the Roosters alongside Trent Robinson. It's an excellent chat with Craig Fitzgibbon. I love the insights he gives into the current squad at the Sydney Roosters. Very interesting. He's the head of their um, defense at the moment. So hearing his his insights and how him and Trent Robinson go about that, extremely interesting considering they're probably one of the best defensive sides we've ever seen. It's a great chat. I know you'll love it. Let's kick it off. Intercepted by Fitzgibbon! Fitzgibbon striding over the halfway! Fitzgibbon, he's running out of petrol. They're going to get him, but he'll make it. Fitzgibbon. Craig, welcome on, mate. How are we? Too bad, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, all going well, mate. I imagine it's a uh, it, it's a busy time over at the Roosters, coming off a, a tough loss last week to the Raiders. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, we probably, probably now with the benefit of hindsight, probably had a couple of wobbles over the last few weeks, and um, you know, played a, a team that were 
be committed. Obviously, um, you know, obviously at the top of their game, and and they caught us out. We've uh, we've got to we've got to acknowledge that we've got to do some work around fixing some areas of um, our play up. And um, you know, thankfully we've had a couple of days rest. We've had a tough period over the last sort of um, six weeks with short turnarounds and travel and whatever. So it's time to time to you know obviously let the guys recover fully this time, and then we'll get in and address those issues as the week goes on. Mate, I guess in hindsight, um, yourself being coached by Ricky Stewart, the uh, the old siege mentality that he's able to get together probably hasn't shocked you in hindsight that the Raiders got up for that game? Oh, no, I think it yeah, has. Well, that last year, uh, yeah, first point is Ricky is very good at that, the siege mentality and ambushing and, and all that, the um, emotional reaction he gets out of his team. He's always had the ability to do that. So we were, uh, we were uh, under no illusions going into that game. It's going to be hard. I know they've got some injuries but so have we um, it's, it's a hard game against them every time we play so it doesn't matter where we are on the ladder it doesn't matter who's in who's out we always have tough games against the Raiders and then you know you, you throw that into the fact that we're last year's uh, to replay last year's grand final it was, we weren't we weren't short on our, our mentality I don't think we just probably um, you know we just got outplayed on the night and we've got to, we've got to work out why and, and start fixing that Mate, you mentioned before a few stumbles over the last few weeks. Tell me about the loss of Victor Radley. In my opinion, he's one of the most underrated players in the comp, and I think he's so so crucial to not only your defense but your uh, offensive structures. Tell me about the loss of Radley. Uh, look, he's a he's an incredible young player, and he's a incredibly infectious. So, but we, we've also got to. Um, we feel like we've got a good enough squad to, to win anyway, and we want to work on that. And we're going to, you know, you, you can't stick your head in the sand. I think that Victor's a, a loss to your team, to anyone's team. And I think he's finally starting to get um, acknowledgement for, for how good a, a not only an, a player is with his skill set and his hard hitting, but he's actually a valuable team member as well. Like he's so, um, so infectious. But look, we, we feel we can cover for the loss of Rads and Sam, and, and we need to work out what parts of Rads' game is missing and, and fill them in. But we've got full belief in the guys that can play in the middle for us. You know, you have Matt Butchers, Isaac Liu. Now we put Siwa in there at times, so we feel like we can we can cover the um, the loss of Rads or beat. We'd rather have him there, but it's not possible for this season. Mate, obviously your main role there is um, as the defensive coach, and I imagine you must be extremely proud of what you've seen over the last few years. To deny I'm the defence coach for this week, <laughs> <laughs> nah. Look, uh, I I get uh, Trent Trent's defence mad, so. One thing that helps as a defensive coach, and listen, he, I was fortunate enough when I started coaching that he was already, you know, uh, he'd been coaching for a long time prior to that. So whilst we're the same age and we're good mates, it was really good to have his tutelage in, in all defensive areas. And, and he takes a, a large um, a large chunk of responsibility for it too. So for what, when you're the defense coach and, and you've got ideas or, or things you want to put in place, it's... It's only as strong as the word of the head coach to back that stuff up, and that's what he does. And he's got his own. He's got a super high footy IQ and loves his defence as well. So I think we get a, a, a one-two punch combo there where I get a bit of support from him. That's for sure, mate. When I watch the Roosters and I compare them to the other sides in the NRL, I think you know it's a small factor rugby league, but it makes a huge difference. Your marker defence. They're just your, you know, your marker split and your second marker. He's always, he's always just following, and you know, I call it um, closing that gate. They are just always working. It's obviously something that you guys actively 
uh, work on every week, yeah? Yeah, look, I think, um, I think gone are the days of our defence is just an attitude. We actually think it's a bit more than that. There's a um, set of systems in place that, you know, and insurance policies that make sure you don't get broken down. And now, listen, everyone's going to get caught from time to time. And you're just trying to set up systems to minimise that happening. And um, and to do that, you've got to have players that are willing to work into that system and players that are willing to turn up for each other because they don't want to be the one that um, they don't want to be the one that lets each other down. Now, um, that's just more on show for Marker than probably. Um, anywhere else in the in the defensive line. So having guys that have made a tackle and actually want to make another tackle or want to fill in the space, it's um, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the system. But it's also it's it's good to see. It's a, it's a real good sign of the, the ethic of the team. And um, yeah, I think everyone's got their own um, policies in place of how that works. But you know, it's just it's just trying to make sure that they do their job and, and they want to get heavily involved. Craig, obviously in the modern game, you know, every set has a strike play on it that normally comes on your third or your fourth tackle. And, you know, it's normally um, your out-the-back play, which all the teams are, you know, they they spend all week marking those plays. And then normally it's the strike play that comes after the strike play that, that separates the good teams from the great teams. And the Roosters, they just seem to defend that play, you know, call it scramble defense if you want, but they just seem to do it better than anyone. Yeah, if you... If- I think everyone's evolving, actually. Like, I, mean, I think the standard of footy's gone up, whether it's the six again, whether it's um, maybe it's uh, being the premiers. We feel like we've got to get into a war every week to win. Um, and, and I think the standard of footy or, or um, attacking footy against us has been quite high this year. And, but if, if it goes back a couple of years where it's basically just, like you said, two or three one at hit-ups, then we'd back ourselves to do a good job there. And if it's only one shift off that, we'd back ourselves to handle that. And then if they take another hit up, um, it's it's sort of given up um, given up a good advantage. And now everyone has different attacking structures. Everyone has different strike players. So sometimes just the ability of a player off the back of the shift. You know, you look at say, um, like a white or someone like that, they'll have a shift and they might not have nothing will happen from the shift, but he'll just pick the ball up off that shift and just go. So... I think that um, you're right, and, and and we have to work very hard at that. It's part of the part of your defensive system where you know you've got you've got a set of insurance policies in place to try and negate it. Sometimes you get caught, sometimes it works well, but there's um, I think the attacking footy's been a little bit better this year, to be honest with you. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I, how do you feel these rules have um, have affected the game? Like, do the Roosters feel more comfortable now, or is it a bit more of a worry? What What are your thoughts on the new rules? It's the same for everyone, so it's not a worry. Um, I think that's been a good. It's been a positive. It's been a positive for the game on the on the whole. Uh, I suppose when you're on the wrong end of them, they can hurt you. You know, they can have a fair bearing on what happens during the game. But no, well, I think that um, I think it's been better for the game in general. I think that's important that we everyone's happy with it. Everyone sees the style of play expanding, and it's not a structure, and that's great. It's great for footy fans. My only concern would be. They just bring it in for more reasons and get rid of scrums, mate. Someone's gonna, someone's gonna die soon. It's just hard. It can't get any harder. Like it's so hard. On I'm just watching players, top line players, just give everything they've got week after week. If you start throwing in more six again, no scrums, shorter turnarounds. Like God, what are you asking these guys to do? There's only so much time in their life they can prepare for a game like that, you know. So that's um, I think we're at a real good level 
where we're at right now. And if you leave it alone for a, a, a number of years, we'll acclimatise, and then from then on you move it. But too many big shifts in the wrong direction. I'm not sure what'll happen there. Mate, I was going to ask you a little bit later, but now that you've mentioned that, like how much work these guys are doing and how much is expected of them, like I'm just going to throw a hypothetical at you here. You know, if you were to yeah. pick your your best team for the Roosters over the last two or three years and put them up against your best team from the Roosters that you were involved in that 2002 to 2004, are the guys now, is the game just so different that they would blow them away? Or what? how, how do you see it? Oh, that's a tough question. Yeah, I suppose it's you'd like to see... I'd like to see the teams that we were in have the preparation and the detail in teams have now. The, the professionalism, the power and speed of the guys now, I think, is above where we were at. Um, but that's not to say that guys from that era couldn't prepare like these guys and, and take it there. So it's a really tough question. Cause it's not, we can debate. That's a great debate. Um, but the reality is the professionalism and the standard of... Um, Physical preparation, footy preparation, it's it's through the roof compared to back then. So whilst everyone was still damn fit, damn tough and all that stuff, like you've got to acknowledge that, that everyone was still playing um, some really good, intense footy back then. Footy's always been intense. I think it's fair to say one ear is softer than the other. It's just, um, yeah, it's just probably the preparation of the guys now is entirely different. Tell me about your uh, your culture at the Roosters at the moment. You know, it's obviously the envy of the league. And I look at, you know, like obviously Cooper Cronk came in two years ago and he's been amazing. But now you've brought in young Kyle Flanagan. Cooper Cronk is still in the building helping Flanagan. I've seen Josh Morris come in this year. He's been amazing. And when he eventually retires, I'm sure he's going to be around the place still. And the next young senator to come to the Roosters is going to have Josh Morris there. They're going to have Brett Morris there. You know, the, the guys that you're signing, they're as important when they're on the field as when they retire to me. And it, it, it's it's an incredible um, culture that you're building there. Yeah, I think um, uh, you've got to basically, I think, acknowledge the coach and setting up, um, set, setting up like we're, we're well, obviously a well-run club from the top to bottom chairman. And we're a very stable environment. Um, we have um, very little external issues or external um Pressures to deal with, so we focus on the footy, and the coach is responsible for making the footy so important to the guys, and then going about recruiting guys that um, you feel can fit your organisation. And we've got a good bunch of guys. We just seem to be it's a real good work environment. I think when the when obviously results are going your way in the, in the large part, it's it's a happy place to turn up to work, and everyone feels safe. You know, they're coming to work, and they're not they're not guarded, they're not. They come in and express themselves well and they give the best account of themselves. And when everyone's happy and looking forward to working hard for each other, it's, it flows. Now, it's very hard to, it's very hard to say what the um, culture look like is in a, in a tangible sense, but it's very, it's very obvious to see when you don't have it. And fortunately for us, we're, we're, we've got it at the moment, but it's, it's so many key aspects to it in, in player, um, player behavior, um, players, uh, acceptance to, to be all into the club and, and the culture and they're just good men they're good young men that work very hard on themselves to improve as good young men and like I said because of the results have been really strong for a few years it, it does help it definitely helps because you don't have that external pressure and noise and things creeping in from the outside so um, I think we've done that pretty well over the last but I've got to acknowledge the boss there he's um, the coach set up um, the club to run as smoothly as it is 
It's Cleary with the shot. The shot is high. Is the shot standard? It. Sure is. He's kicked it. Luke Cleary kicks the field goal for the Roosters. When I spoke to Bernie Gurr a few weeks ago, he was obviously the CEO back when you were winning uh, the 2002 Premiership and the, the few years before that and after. And he spoke about when you guys won that comp, you had a number of players that he called in the sweet spot of their career. And obviously there's a lot of guys at the Chooks right now in their sweet spot. The one guy I want to ask you, and I think he's in his sweetest spot right now, Luke Keary. Tell me about him. Yeah, yeah it's funny how, um, I don't know if he's ever had a, a really bad period with Keary. Like if you really put his, uh, no, he, I'll give you a story. Let's see, I remember going, it was Jason Taylor when um, JT was our first year coach, and he was coaching our attack. So then I remember going over to North Sydney Oval because our feeder team was Newtown. I remember JT said to me, mate, you watched this young halfback playing for North, who was South feeder team at the time. He said, his name's Luke Keir. He's only a little fellow, but you watch him play. And then um, just remember that clear as, clear as day, JT, saying that to me. And from then on, just watching him. South's career, and other than the, the off-field issue we had, his football was it was still enormously exciting. Like he was still a great young player, and see, um, we were the beneficiaries of that off-field problem for uh, for us at the Roosters, and, and his game has flourished. And you're right about a sweet spot. Like he's playing such good footy now, but he's been um, just as important over the last few years to the balance of our team, and he's probably stepped up a little bit more in the leadership sense. Um, without having Cooper there with our real good shared combo and he stepped up a bit in that regard and it seems to be um seems to be making him yeah, like you said, flourish. Uh, the leadership role that he has is um is, is added another element to his to his big game, you know, his mindset to big games and his mindset to, to organising the game. You know better than me, but I remember watching Brad Fittler around that 2001-2002 period, and he sort of just came back one pre after one preseason, and he just he had mastered how to take advantage of a short side. You know, he he'd drop a man on the on the fourth defender, then take him on down the short side. And Luke Keary, over the last 18 months, I don't know if there's a better footballer taking on short sides in the rugby league at the moment. He's unbelievable, Luke Keary. Yeah, he catches you by surprise there. Like the different. Um, short side defence if you get your numbers right you can generally handle yourself pretty well but the thing with Luke he just the speed that he catches the ball he catches it right on the advantage line and the speed that he gets the defender to make a decision it just happens so fast it causes a bit of confusion there he's definitely um definitely a great asset to his game and um, I think he's even his longer percentage plays from a bit wide around started to four over the last piece you're right about Freddie you know the other thing with Freddie is a little bit different to Luke if you're that short side defender and Freddie bowls around the corner and comes down at you mate you got to worry about tackling him you got to worry about his pass you know there's plenty of plenty of decision making going on if Freddie's running at you without a doubt yeah he, he just he, he uh, he's the most complete footballer I think I've ever seen Brad Fiddler he was incredible Mate, on a personal uh, coaching note yourself, obviously you've been the assistant there for a few years. You've had great success. There's a couple of NRL jobs going at the moment, whether it be the New Zealand Warriors or over at the Canterbury Bulldogs. Are any of those uh, tickling your interest at the moment? No, I've had um, uh, a little bit of... They've been linked to a few positions, not the Bulldogs. I'm not, that appears to be uh, uh, gone now, I think. Anyhow. But no, I've got a contract for the next couple of years in the Roosters, and I'll be honouring that. Um, I think I've been pretty clear in saying that for the next, for this year and next year, I looked at Robbo and Nick are two of my closest friends, and like I'm not having this discussion 
with anyone at this point in time if it wasn't for those guys. So I've been with the Roosters for close to 20 years. I'm just not comfortable leaving unless it's right. And I wouldn't do that. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm good enough to be a head coach, those opportunities will still be there at the end of that. But signing off on um, my Roosters career is just as important to me as signing into the next career. So I've got to um, I've got to handle that in the right way. And look, I, you know, the interest, if it was there from New Zealand, are flattering. I think they're exciting prospects of the club. I really do. Um, but for now, I've got, um, like I said, I've got to honour the agreement. I'm comfortable with the decision I make to, to stay with the Roosters next couple of years. But yeah, I think a club like the Warriors is definitely exciting and it's, who knows what can happen over the next couple of years. I'm not sure where I'll end up. But, but I must say, I must say, the most important thing to me at the moment is the Roosters. Yeah, without a doubt. Mate, speaking of um, coaching, and I think, you know, a factor of your career that, you know, it isn't spoken about often. Um, other obviously, he was a head coach at the Steelers, the Cronulla Sharks. You were a young bloke growing up there. What sort of an influence did that have on you? Really good. I was, I was a bit offended by a big article I read the other day and it was about all Jack Gibson's coaching and, and the, the, the people that he coached and developed out of his coaching. And I didn't mention the old fellow. I was upset for him because he had four years as his assistant as Cronulla, at Cronulla. Um, and then took over after Jack left and won. He won the minor premiership in his first year as head coach. Um, yeah, they had a great team with ET and Mark Mangor and Docking and Michael Speechfield, those Gavin Miller, of course. But um, so he did really well in his uh, three years as head coach, made the finals, and and then he's a super quiet, super humble guy. Just walked away. I don't know if the I don't know if the Jack Gibson, um, remember the old philosophy on, um, do you remember this where he used to say, oh, you can only have, I think it was three years or four years at a joint and yep. don't get sick of hearing your messages. So I've never asked him that, but I, I wonder if he just, he did his three years and went, all right, they're sick of hearing me, I'm out. And he just tapped out. So, um, but he went back to Hill Warriors, footy manager for a while there and, and uh, took over just briefly when Graham Murray moved on. But no, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a blessing for me. Um, you know, again, when we talk about footy, he's very very blunt. He doesn't doesn't talk. He's quite very quiet. and Doesn't uh, waste words. But if you looked at my uh, my life from the age of um, five onwards, and I'm 43 now. I've been in and around first grade Jesson shed. So. Um, you learn a lot about behaviour, characters, even small conversations as a kid growing up. You never forget them, and just a fascinating area that um, the footy, the footy realm, and the relationships between players and coaches. So I've always been fascinated by that. So I would have to say it's been a good advantage. Tell me, mate, at the start of your career, obviously you make your debut in '98. The couple of years leading up to that, the Super League war explodes in Australia. Being a young guy coming into first grade. You know, did that have much effect on your development or where you ended up or anything along those lines? I wish it. I wish it did have a bigger impact on me. <laughs> got the uh, got the, the back pocket. Yeah, I wish so. Um, now look, we were at an ARL aligned club in the Steelers, and um, I was only eight hours and nine hours time. So I signed a, a ten thousand dollar loyalty agreement to stay with the ARL and stay with the Steelers. I was pumped. I thought that was that was. That was that was all I was worth at that time, I can tell you that. So um, I, I was stoked with that, very happy. I, I wish I missed, I missed that money pool there and then missed the one there on the outside. Unfortunately, we played right in the middle of all of it. But no, it, was, um, it didn't have a huge impact. It was pretty straightforward at that time. Um, and then my debut in 98 was back with 20 teams in the competition anyway. 
Tell me about your debut, mate. How did you find out that you would uh, don the Steelers jersey for the first time? Oh, oh mate, I went surfing that morning, to be honest with you. I just, I just thought I was on the bench because Brad McCoy was the starting lock. I'd been, um, I'd been for a surf, and I remember just sitting in the sun in the stands, and I was just all nice and relaxed. I thought, oh, if I get on the field for however long today, that'd be great, I was, uh, just to experience it, you know? And then Andrew Farrell walked up to me and I was sitting in the stand. He goes, ah, oh, mate, you're starting today. Um, Mac is sick. I just went, oh, my God. And, um, mate, we were playing the night day and they had Chiefs, Adam McDougall, the Giants boys. Mate, Robbie O'Davis was doing backflips after tries and they were a unit at the time. And I think we scored first. We went up like 6-0, but we got we got ran down pretty, pretty heavily by the night. But it was an awesome experience. I'll never forget it. And, um... I was thankful. I've got to say, I really loved work playing for uh, Andy Farr. He's a great man and great supporter of mine. So I was happy and he had a lot of trust in me as a young player and threw me in there and probably wasn't physically ready, but he still believed in me. Tell me about that first game coming up against the Johns brothers. Obviously, they'd won the comp the previous year and were just full of confidence. They must have been a pretty scary prospect. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were so, um, the team was so big and powerful. We, we had a good young team. Like If, if we kept that that Illawarra team was a good young, they were very young and they were very polished in their careers at the time. And I remember it's the size and the power of trying to tackle Chiefs and those guys. But the Johns boys were yahooing and some weird connection. They're making hoots and hollers at each other and throwing the ball around and expressing themselves. And it was, it was, whilst nerve wracking, it was impressive to see. Mate, you mentioned that really good young squad you had at the Steelers. Um, to some extent, it all comes crashing down the next year when the merge happens. You know, that's for, for young people nowadays to think that two footy teams would merge together. You know, it's just about unheard of. How did that all work? I don't know, it's very hard to do. They pulled it off. They really did. Um, look, everyone, obviously, if you're from a dragon side of things, you would like to stay together with all your dragons, friends. And us Illawarra guys want to stay together with our Illawarra friends, but um, it wasn't to be. And they basically just... Got, we all knew that you know, everyone knew the merger was being discussed and, and going to happen. And then eventually um, they chose 12, 12 Steelers players and 13 um, Dragons players to make a squad of 25. And I was just fortunate I was one of those 12. But it was a tough time for the ones that didn't didn't get in. But uh, from a personal note, it was thrilling. And, and it, was, it was great. Well, they, they handled it really well. I've got to say that. They, the, the Dragons, it was tough. It's not as easy as as it may seem you get all these good players thrown together and you can just win footy games there's a fair bit in it and um, the benefit of hindsight now to make that grand final and all that not win it but that was a remarkable achievement I think Mate you mentioned that they had 12 Steelers players 13 Dragons players was that like were those two numbers were they set in stone that they had to pick 12 from the Steelers 13 from the Dragons or was that just how it ended up? Yeah I'm not sure um, that's a good question I'm not sure where the balance lay there it's whether they just put their put twelve of each down and had a swinging vote, I'm I'm not sure. I really oh, I can't answer that question. Yeah. You mentioned making that grand final an incredible effort. Also, the team you came up against, the Melbourne Storm, they'd only been in the comp for two years or whatever. An unbelievable grand final. So, tell me about the lead up to that grand final because I remember that game against the Sharks you guys played and Mundine. Yep. That might be the best game of football I've ever seen someone play. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he was. That's the one he did the forward flip over in the corner. One of he scored a uh, scored a try over in the far left corner. But he, yeah, he was 
he was in rare form at the time. And um, we'd had a couple of tough semis there. So that, that was a huge win for us and, and gave us plenty of confidence in the lead up. And that when you know, him and, and Nathan Blacklock was flying at the time too. So we had, um, like I said, we had a good squad. Like Trent Barrett, Tim, I don't want to start naming guys. We had that youth and then the experience of uh, McGregor's and um, Brad McCoy and buddy. Mark Hoyne for the year and you know, got those Nathan Brown, like they're great people and great players. So this is just a really good blend of experienced guys that have seen it all and young guys having them having the crack. Now Mundy in the grubbing kick. That 99 grand final, it starts fantastically for you. You score the first try. What were you paying that day? $5. <laughs> did any oh, of the boys no, get no. on it or what? Damn right they did. <laughs> 55s, massive. Because you yeah, started 50. on the bench, didn't you? Yeah, but it was only every minute. You're on... Well, I don't know. I don't know how long it was into the game, but you get on pretty quick because there's was, was only a bit of minute change. So there's people coming off and going every... You know, that's probably, probably not that far out of the realm to get a try but not for a forward you would have backed a, maybe an interchange sort of utility or something but anyway a few of, them, few of my mates did and paid 55 bucks so got a couple of schooners out of that mate we'll talk about it more later but fuck you you knew your way to the uh, promised land in a grand final just quietly uh, yeah managed to crash over in a couple and I wish it was um, a bit more spectacular for him with dived on a grubber more or less barged over from three metres out twice. <laughs> um, they're not they're less than spectacular, but it's still the name on the scoreboard in the grand final, so I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for sure, and not, not something I'd probably be remembered for. That's just, no, I don't think so. I thought those three-metre charges would have turned into 50-metre uh, charges by now. Yeah, they, they're getting longer, don't worry. They're getting longer for people that haven't seen it. <laughs> Mate, that, um, that grand final obviously ends in you know, just utter chaos with the uh, penalty try. Explain to me, were were you on the field at that time? Were you on the bench? What what, what was the feeling surrounding that moment? It's bizarre. Um, it's, it's a long time. Yeah, it's hard to really like have vivid. I'm, I'm more vivid about after the game. I just saw the effect it had on our senior players. And I was just, I was, I was like second year first grade. Like I, I, uh, to even be in a grand final, just spinning and um, I just saw the impact that it had on our senior players and um, I, I can that's that's the hardest part of all of it um, and uh, you realise the opportunity missed when I saw the effect on those guys and it's probably getting um, talked about more as time goes on but it's just a game of footy isn't it like it just ebbs and flows and um, you didn't shut the game out they got back into it, and then it come down to a, a big call, and that's that's what happened. But um, I don't think anyone uh, anyone's to blame. It was just we just probably should have shut the game out, really. And, and I'm sure we'll. Um, it's it's a, one of the great grand finals if you look at it um, in the big picture sense. But a disappointing night for the Georgia Royal Dragons and anyone who was involved in it. What about that try Nathan Blacklock scored? Yeah, that sort of fifty-fifty bounce and just oh. hit it and. Um, Jeez, he's ballsy to charge onto it. Yeah, he was lucky, like a Nick Allison was standing in front of him when he caught it, I think. But he, uh, <laughs> he, he was such a brave play, that, just to hit that. And his incredible uh, spatial awareness as a player, uh, Nathan, just to be able to, like, time, get that on and just 
just let it go and go straight for it and kill or be killed and you come out the other side. It's great. Fitzy, had you uh, had you signed with the Roosters at that point or did it come after the grand final? No. Come after the grand final. Um, yeah, I probably, probably wore a bit of flack for leaving in there, but the, the reality of what happened was I was going to go straight throughout that um, semi and a couple other things that happened and wasn't feeling um, like I was a you know, priority. And at the end of it, I'd still, if, you, if you're a player and you're off contract, you, you know that most guys are signing in, what, signing June, July, August, aren't they? They're not. Um, I was still unsigned after the grand final. So I actually went, I uh, went and had a few beers with the boys and I was still undecided about what to do. And um, went up to, um, went up to Sydney on like the Thursday or Wednesday Thursday or something like that and met Bernie Gurr and um, Phil Gould and agreed then. So I hadn't actually signed anywhere until after the grand final. So um, that was a big call and, and history will tell me I made the right call there, but it was still tough. I, I, so close with all the guys that I'd grown up playing with in the Illawarra and I'm still close friends with all of them and I still live down here so it's a big attachment for me so it's a big call but I feel like it was the right one yeah I, uh, I'm willing to bet you've made worse decisions in your life <laughs> it's paid off well for me put it that way the opportunity to be in such a great team when I, when I signed with the Roosters and players and an era we had there as a team and then now to, um, for them I played there for 10 years and them to, to give me a, a position now to coach for the last nine years, it's um, I, I couldn't, yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought when I signed that it was going to be such a good relationship for me. But um, yeah, I'm one of my, my second family now, mate. You um, you obviously signed with the Roosters, they're captained by Brad Fitler, the Australian captain at the time. Tell me about the first time you met Freddie. Called me, I remember um, after it all happened, I got a few mates that um. Grew up in West Wyalong and we just went out to West Wyalong just to go motorbike ride and hang out and a few beers. I just wanted to get out of it, like um, get away and, and chill out for a bit. And I remember um, I just phone call. I didn't know the number, so I just let it ring through and left a message. And then I'd feel like, oh, shit, Brad Fittler called and left me a message. That's when I sort of hit home, you know. So I had to um, go back and have a chat. He was just, just ready. He just, mate, welcome. Great, good state sign, mate. Just so, so welcoming, so calming. And then um, that, you know, from then on, everything was a pretty, pretty seamless move uh, in the end. Mate, your uh, your coach there was, of course, Graham Murray. Um, you know, strange little turn of events that obviously a few years before that he was the coach of the Illawarra Steelers, and your dad um, took over from him. It's uh, it's a weird little world rugby league, isn't it? It's round and it's not that big and everyone seems to come back around and it's it's great for that reason too, you know. While we all get um, everyone competitive towards each other, it's very tribal. Um, it's always a war of words. There's always a bit of angst towards other people and whatever, but main rugby league people are great guys and, and you always, when you put those club differences or team differences aside, mate, everyone gets on great. Like It's such a good community and one benefit I've been lucky enough is the involvement in rep footy. You just get to hang out with people from other clubs and where it's so exciting. It's so fun and it really is filled with great people. And we have our hiccups from time to time where people slip up, that's for sure. But um, the same reason as the boys are lunatics on the field, you, know, you can't just isolate that one part of their life. It's very hard so they slip up from time to time. But listen, on the main, people you meet in rugby league forge, forge friendships for years. And, um, just 
again, you'd probably sometimes probably join it now. You probably need to sit back a little bit more often and realise how lucky you are. Solomona finding Fitzgibbon. He's over the line, Fitzgibbon. Fitzgibbon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mate, I, uh, I've spoken to, obviously, Bernie Gurr and your good mate Anthony Minicello over the last few weeks, and they spoke about that 2000 grand final. You essentially came up against a kangaroo side that day, didn't you? Yeah, the unlimited uh, interchange. I don't quote me on it, but did they make 50-something changes? It was some astronomical amount of interchange. It was ridiculous, yeah. It was, it was, it was a different like game. It wasn't rugby league. It was crazy. And the, the quality of their team and... Um, and man, they're wrong at Spawn and Webkin. Oh man, just just relentless. But um, listen, we got back in the game. I scored that try late, and then I kicked the goal from the sideline, but it hit the, the crossbar to make it four and six. If we got fourteen eight, who knows? But I would have thought we were, we were lucky to get back into the game. Not pretty dominant. Um, so where we were at as a young team there at the Roosters, we had some still Freddie and and I've experienced Freddie Rico. That's the guys, but um, that was a well-oiled machine that Brisbane unit. I reckon that uh, that sound of the ball hitting the crossbar would have uh, echoed through your head for a while, just quietly. Looked like a pin perfect kick. Yeah, it, no, nah, it's not lost on me that it might have changed. Um, yeah, I can't. And they're the kicks that you live for. Is that a kicker is right on the touch line. Uh, I thought I did everything right. Obviously, just give me little legs. Just didn't hit the thing hard enough. Eh? And it's one of the very few times I've seen you not make the distance on a kick. Off the top of my head, I can't remember many other times when you. Haven't uh, I've got past the try line? Yeah, I, I'd have had a few. I did have some periods there where I, I um, I think there's a little balance on for the my style of kicking where obviously I was always fatigued being a back rower. So um, and one thing I used to do when I was tired, if I try and kick too hard, it's hard to explain this, but it's it's actually a bit biomechanical. If I if I'm really tired and I try and kick the ball too hard, I sink down on my front leg and it makes me hook the ball. And part of keeping the ball straight in the air, you've got to, got to keep my head over the ball and keep my hips up and tall. So I just was always reminding myself, don't don't overhit it because I'll miss. This was all about the routine of hitting the ball properly. And you know, most of the time it worked out, but a couple of times I didn't leave enough in it. Fitzy, I spoke to uh, Daryl Halligan a few months ago and he went through his kicking routine and he said the biggest mistake people make is trying to kick the shit out of the ball when they're tired, essentially. He had a, he had a certain routine that he followed that was the same in the first minute as it was in the 80th minute. Did you have a certain yeah. routine that you followed or, or a certain training program for your kicking you did during the week? 100% had similar routine. I worked with Daryl over a few years. He was great for me but um, as well. But no, definitely managing the fatigue for me was the number one thing. Obviously, um, the, the load of the, the forward is probably a bit higher than outside backs or whatever, but everyone's hard. Like, everyone's who's kicking that ball in a game is tired, so... I didn't see that as an excuse, but I had to really quickly, as soon as we score, try and get my heart rate back down and clear the mind. And, and mate, when the 
you're in a footy game, it's hard to explain, but your, your brain sounds like it's got signals crashing in it and static and noise. It's just like carnage in there. So to try and get your head to calm down back to baseline and then try and um, go through a routine was, that was important and, and not kicking the shit out of the ball was, that was part of the routine. I just, just try and slow everything down and pick yourself back up. And um, But definitely rely on a routine to do it. Mate, we spoke about that 2000 grand final, and I don't know how you want to describe them or what do you what what you want to call these players. But in my opinion, every team to win a comp, they need a real prick in their team. The other team doesn't want to come up against. And I think that man for you arrived in 2001, Adrian Morley. Tell me about Moz. Um, it's like a split personality, Moz, because you've never met a bigger gentleman, and it's like he was such. Uh, been fortunate because of the Roosters. Uh, the last we've been over in England for the World Cup challenges, so I got to hang out. Well, we stayed right near where Moz lived, so just spent heaps of time with him. It's like we've just never separated. He's such a good man. He's just an absolute gentleman, and and just has white line feet as soon as he crosses the stripe. It's just win at all costs, and I mean, just the sort of player that you want to have in your your team and, and not against him. And and he was hugely influential. In his style of play, we had like a we had a really good balance. We had some sort of like uh, like worker players like myself and Rico and Moz for some impact, and then you had some creative guys in Flannery and Crocker, and and you know we just had a and then we all knew one thing that we all knew this was really simple. Um, you know, the impact of Mini and, and Wingy as well, but we all knew if we got close enough on the scoreboard that Freddie would ice the game. Um, and you know, going into a game with a real clear mindset, and hey, we'll do our jobs. We'll roll the sleeves up and get all the work done. And um, if it's close, Freddie will sort it out. And if not, you know, your minis and wingies, and those guys are—they're hard to handle, and they got points in them everywhere. So it was just such a good balance to the team. Were you uh, were you playing in the Test match where Adrian Morley uh, took off Robbie Kearns' head in the first eight seconds of the game, yeah. or something? Yeah. Yeah, I sure was. I sure was. So, um, I mate, mean, we only just won that game. We were about three. We only just won all three tests, actually, on the bill. Um, yeah, I, uh, I remember he winked at me on my thing in the anthems, and then um, he more Jesus. or less just started. Yeah, he winked, sang the anthem, shook hands, and then he comes up with that. I was like, oh, it's just a, I knew he had white line season, but not like that. <laughs> Mate, speaking of Morley, um, you get to you get to that two thousand and two grand final, and I spoke to Bernie Gurr last week about the Richard Villasanti hit on Freddie being a turning point, and it really it flicked a switch in uh, Adrian Morley, didn't it? It started the catalyst. I think was starting to grind him back down, grind him back down, but then that happened, and it was like it happened immediately, didn't it? I think Moss got him the next set, and then. Um, and then Freddie come up with a couple of big plays, and then we just we we draw them away in the end there. But um, yeah, it, it was a big big moment in the game. It's a big moment in grand final history. No one's going to forget that. And um, it was, uh, definitely definitely the turning point, a turning point for us um, in getting the victory. And, and we're going to back ourselves to go back in there, but it probably had a, a fair bearing on the 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 amount of um, that we did in the last twenty minutes, I suppose. Back for Shannon Hickety. There's a chance for Fitzgibbon. Fitzgibbon must be horribly close. Mate, that 2002 grand final night, obviously you win your first premiership. It's your third grand final in, in what, four years. Um, you've lost two of them. You win that. You pick up the Clive Churchill medal. You score another try in a grand final, your third try in a grand final. 
I, I'd be shocked if there's another forward ever that scored playing three consecutive grand finals. What a night for you. Yeah, it was great. Um, just, uh, uh, just a culmination of everything. And um, you would have heard about, um, you would have heard about our training and how hard we worked throughout the course of the years. Ricky's first year, um, we, we set some new standards for ourselves as a club in our preparation and training and much hard work had gone into it. So you have um, just, the, it's like the ultimate relief when it's over. It's such a good feeling. I wish, you just so privileged in your life to be part of it. And a lot of people don't get that. And yeah, you can't, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to put into words because you've heard everyone talk about it. Surely, like you've heard anyone who's ever won or played in their final day talk about that. And everyone will say the same thing. But it, it is really hard to put a, a set of words together to make you go, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, um, just a huge relief after a bloody long and hard year. Fitzy, when I spoke to Anthony Minicello a few weeks ago, he mentioned um, those that preseason with Ricky Stewart was just on another level, and Minnie described how hard it was. And then a few weeks later, I had um I had a bloke that was in your extended squad who messaged me and said, "Fuck, like if if you can understand how hard Minicello found it, he was the fittest one there. The rest of us, it was just absolute torture." <laughs> what do you remember from those sessions? Yeah, yeah, we went hard, eh? Like we had a we went hard, mate. Um, you know, not to run through session plans or anything like that, but it was I don't know, I don't I think it was probably just an, an acknowledgement of looking at the squad. We're all sort of tall, leaner guys, you know, we're all sort of six two, six threes forwards and pretty athletic and I suppose all had a, an element of fitness in our game and, and maybe Ricky just decided to go with the, the fitness and defence but Mate, it was it was excruciatingly hard, and and that a direct um, that's a direct answer for like it, it, it we mate, it was responsible for the way we played, and it was responsible for winning the grand final. So it was worth it, whatever it was. It might have been bloody hard, and it might have been scary to think about. And and however hard you describe it, it won't match what actually happened either. But it was worth it. You'd do it again if it was going to guarantee your premiership, wouldn't you? Mate, you worked hard on the field. Off the field, you guys had a great time. Have you got a um, House of Grouse story for me? Uh, <laughs> me run through the House of Grouse City. He, he mentioned it, but he was he played a pretty straight bat for me, so I'm hoping I can get uh, something out of you. Uh, I'll get the straight bat with it as well. But our wild times, times are different than to now. And we definitely um, fully trained hard and played hard on and off the field. Um, but one thing we never did, and um, pardon my language, we didn't, F with the footy, you know, like we just turned up. Like whatever we did on a Friday, Saturday night, when we come back Monday ready to go. And uh, well, I, I don't, I, even though it might have seeped over into our um, preparation, it, I just don't remember it ever being an anchor to our performance. And I don't remember it being an anchor to the way we prepared for games because we were training so hard. But I would say that it's, it's not ideal preparation in the current climate. <laughs> it have been a big advantage to be given to another club. I think everyone might have been doing it at that stage. Ask you, mate. Obviously, you know when you played in the early two thousands compared to now. Would you rather play when you played? Uh, well, mate, I'm I'm terrified after boys playing now. So I was terrified back then too. So it doesn't make much difference to me. Um, I, the, the, the fear of complete exhaustion was always huge for me. Man. Like it always, I was so nervous game day, and I never reacted to the nerves, but I just always felt like, what am I doing? Like, it's really, and then. The feeling of being um, finishing a game and being, it's going to sound perverse. I love the feeling of being bashed up and like you've had 
shit kicked out of you and whatever. That feeling sitting there with the boys after a game and sitting with your team members, blood, bruised up, bashed up. I'm paying good money to feel like that again. I'm not going to do it, but it's um, it's priceless. It really is. So I'll watch what the guys go through now. I mean, I was physically probably not the biggest, strongest guy, mate. These guys are 10 miles and legs off nowadays, I think. It's tough to answer. I'd love to have, well, would have loved to have the preparation that the guys have now to see what sort of athleticism level you could get to. But listen, the, 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 the era back then was bloody hard and it's still bloody hard now. It's a great game for that reason. Uh, everyone's searching for the extra 1% to improve, but there's some big, tough boys on the field nowadays. Speaking of improvement, mate, obviously the end of that 2002 season, you've come so far. You make your Kangaroos debut. Uh, how did you find out you'd been picked to represent Australia? Yeah, it was just on the on on the beers, mate. I know it's got a phone call, and um, I remember like just numb. Like I hadn't, I hadn't played um, I played country that year. I hadn't played State of Origin yet, so um, I remember walking out, just ringing mum and dad straight away. That was the first thing I did. I just and the boys, the boys were going mad. First, it was myself and Wingy um, that made it. And then I just remember just having such a great time. We just won back of a hard year. And then I remember the boys were going mad. Firstly, you know, screaming and shouting. So it was great. It was such a, such a good memory. Was it pretty daunting walking into that camp? You know, obviously you hadn't played State of Origin. You'd only played three or four years of first grade. Same as Wingy. Mm-hmm. How was that feeling walking into camp? It was a bit intimidating. Gordon was the captain and... Me and Shane Webke, big fraud, Petra. I was, I was a little bit intimidated, but I was also, at the time, all playing good footy. Um, and, and I was also, um, I had a confidence in a confidence in my ability to play in big games where I, I felt like I was going to, even though I was intimidated by those guys individually and, and you know, it's their first crack and they've been in there for, you know, six, seven years already, they've been over Australia. So I knew I'd be a new young kid, but I was also going, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a style of footy that makes these guys respect me quickly. And I was confident in the fact if I got enough time on the field, I was on the bench. I was confident if Chris Anderson was going to get, he was the coach at the time, give me enough time on the field that I would, um, uh, that I would show these guys that I was, you know, could be a valuable team member for them and they'd respect the way I played footy. So, um, you know, we got a win. Um, did I play great? Sort of went okay without, without, um, Shining, I don't think, but it set me up for a, a decent uh, Australian rep career for the incoming years after, where I felt like I had a good good time playing alongside those guys. 2003 rolls around, mate, and winning premierships is hard. Defending them is obviously incredibly more difficult. What changes did you guys make that year? Yeah, winning after winning is a good question. We have as coaches now a lot, and um, I'm sure Ricky and the coaching staff are having it back then as well, where... You want to stick through to who you are as a team and as a club, and and we still did um, with the Roosters back then. I think we stuck true to the defensive principles, where we're you know we're a big athletic team with line speed, and we we stuck true to an aggressive style of play, and um, you know some just fine moments where we we didn't capitalise on maybe field position or opportunities, however you want to call it. But I, I think we represented the style of play we wanted to have. We just fell short, which is disappointing. So it's very hard. If you want to all the while still represent the way you play, the way you defend and all that, but you, get, you have to do have a couple of elements that can um, catch an opposition out. But you can't you can't go into a game thinking about those couple of elements because if you're trying to win a grand final via a trick shot, trying to win a grand final via a trick play, it ain't going to happen.
you got to win a grand final by you know the best representation of your style of play as a club, um, your style of defence, your style of attack, and and do it to the best of your ability to win the big game. Now we probably represented it, but it wasn't as at the level that we had been previously. Mate, hindsight is a fantastic tool, and if you were to use it now, based on what you've learnt over the 2018-29 season when you guys went back to back, is there a, you know is there anything you would implement that Trent Robinson had put in over that two year span that you think could have come in handy for your side back in 02 and 03? No, like I yeah I don't I don't think um I don't I don't I wouldn't say there was a, an actual element. Trent, we've kept it very simple for our last couple of years. And, and I mean, I, I, we were clear as to what we were trying to do in those, back in 2003 and four. And if you have our, our style of play and, um, again, our defence and, and everything we were trying to achieve back then, we just obviously didn't do it to the level that had made us so successful. It was still a damn good showing of yourself to get to a grand final and play that way. But then it will forever burn us that all of us didn't play our best footy on that night and, and get over the line. Um, you know, there's a, such a small difference in both teams on, on a night like that. We're on the wrong end of that for the three and four seasons, but I still think we, we played hard. We just didn't play our best. Geez, um, Luke Prittis had one hell of a game that night, didn't he? Yeah, he did, he did. When he won the Clyde Churchill medal, everyone remembers the Sattler tackle, which was an amazing moment. But yeah, he, was, he controlled the game, Luke. The other man that really impressed me that night, I thought he had a huge game, Martin Lang in the middle. Obviously, uh, wet weather footy. He really took it to you guys, didn't he? You know what? Like, it's what, what simple as that, and as, you know, we were all trying to organise organise intimidation and aggression and all of those things, but they were, they were relentless as a team, Penrith. They kept it super simple, um, big, powerful guys, hard to tackle. I mean, Martin was relentless no matter what the circumstances that Paul Tool was in his heyday, Nullavow, and then off the back of those guys charging in and, and um, yeah, Prittis and, and Gow were capitalising on, on those guys. Um, they, they were hard to handle. That's a good team. And young kids like that, Lewis and Rooney, that, that, that's a bloody good team and they were hard to hold out. And unfortunately, that fine moment for the, the big game um, went their way. And if you had your time again, it's, um, it's really hard to pick on one moment, but I just thought we just didn't... We, we, we played hard, but we didn't play our best dollar city. Mate, after that, you go on the 2003 Ashes Tour and, you know, we touched on it earlier. They were all such close games. It's one of the most underrated series of rugby league ever. That was awesome. Oh, really good. Like, great experience. First game we were tour. A lot of injuries, actually. We had a lot of guys pull out and um, prior to the tour and then also the Great Britain squad. If you have a look at that team, it's a damn good Great Britain team. So that was a great series for us, and um, to win all three games on the bell and things that pop out of the the tour. We had no we had a great time, but mate, the, the the footy, the standard of footy was great, and um, yeah, Darren Lockyer's leadership in those games, and he iced he iced them for us. It was it was an incredible opportunity to play alongside him for the first time, and um, all that length, and you know, he was he was remarkable that series. I thought. Who was your uh, Who was your roommate on that tour? That tour was actually Phil Bailey. He's a good time, Phil Bailey. A bit of a sneaky one. Great fella. Great fella. Absolute champion. Um, it was, we had such a good time. So he was, he was my room. It was a 10 week tour, so it was a first stint. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good night. Well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. We had a good time. Those tours were, that was, that was good. Um, a good opportunity and, and experience. 
Um, that was the first time I'd been to England, and oh, it was fantastic. Mate, 2004 rolls around and, you know, it's sort of, as the year went on, it became the Brad Fittler farewell tour, um, losing such a legend like that and then coming into that grand final. In my opinion, you know, I've got the 2004 Roosters and the 2001 Eels as possibly the two best teams to never win a premiership. It was one hell of a side, wasn't it? Again, we had, we were very clear in how we were playing, what our objectives were, and like I said, we got close enough, um, and, you know, Freddie was, Freddie was just, you know, he's a, over time, I'm biased because he's the best player I've got to play alongside because I saw him deliver so many times, you know. Um, nearly at the end of an era, and um, yeah, it hurts that we don't we don't get the win by the end of the year. But for, uh, before Freddie signed off, it was an opportunity to play alongside. He's just a legend, out now legend, and um, some of the stuff he could do in a game. Yes, uh, it was a privilege to, to play alongside him. So. In that game, that grand final, I think one play that stands out for me with Freddie, I'll never forget it, that that left foot banana reverse kick that he put in for Chris Walker, like he's the only bloke in rugby league that could have pulled off that play in a grand final. Just incredible, his instincts. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. He, um, that was that's just one in a career full of them, really. And I can imagine how many tight games where he just jams that sidestep in and goes straight through under the post. It's just um, tough, big, skillful. Yeah, full package with Fred. So, um, as I said, we'd still burn us now as players that we didn't send him off in the right fashion. But that's what he do. You can't, we can't fix that anymore and still acknowledge we had a great team and a great era that probably fell short there. I've been to a number of grand finals, probably 10 or 15 over the last 20 years. And I think that night there, the the atmosphere around it, it was just a grand final that had been coming for three years, the Roosters against Canterbury. It was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, they were in the August and what a, a pretty fearsome team. And um, they, were, uh, they were lucky. You talked about, I think Bernie said he had um, players in the sweet spot and Canterbury had a team full of young guys and players in their sweet spot as well. And, um, I'm kicking game of Sherwin just was clinical uh, at key moments. So yeah, um, they were such a, a good squad, and, and in the end, they got the job done that day. But after that 2004 grand final, you know, you've always been a pretty calm and uh, collected character. In that kangaroo tour, uh, you end up in a little stink with Paul Sculthorpe. Fuck, you didn't miss him. Oh, yeah, he started it. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. Nah, yeah, yeah nah, I landed on him. He, he, on, on the ground, I actually squashed his head with my elbow, and then he lashed, he, he lashed out a bit, so I lashed back. But actually, um, can you believe I didn't? Um, he's a good man, actually. He's a great fellow. I've had heaps of conversations with him. He's a really good guy, and that was great testament for him, isn't it? He can, he can get into that, and then there's no just play on, you know. Like I didn't get sent off. I got, I got charged. I didn't even get suspended. Like, oh God, I don't know, I don't know how long I get suspended for if I tried to, you try to pull a stunt like that now. Um, no, we didn't get suspended, but often. Space up against the next one, so it was great. It's a good old test match, hard footy, and um, you know, he tipped the cap. One thing I like about those guys is stress is the game, they let's shake hands, boom, let's go, let's get ready to go next time. No, it's great. Did you uh, did you catch up with Paul for a beer after or anything? 
Oh, not straight after. No, I caught up. Obviously, don't throw out those tours, but um, mate, I've, I've seen him around the traps enough. Scully and um, actually talked to him the other night on a Zoom call. He was doing a ride for charity with a mate of mine, you and Dow's, and we got on and had a laugh about it and had a joke. He's a, he's a great fella. Mate, you return in 2005 to the Roosters, um, the Brad Fitlerless Roosters. What sort of a hole did he leave in the club? It's parks there's a um, probably a leadership back in there. And then um, you know, Rico took over there for a bit, and then the year after Rico left, there was like a two a two stage process in in a leadership vacuum. So just those guys, their presence and leadership around the club is huge, and and I think we're all learning um, how to you know nowadays clubs are pretty well equipped to go, okay, this player of this caliber is leaving. What are we doing to fix it? Player of this caliber is leaving. What are we doing to fix it? You know. And I think at the time, the answer would have been, we'll just get rid of all old players and start again from scratch. But I think it's just about balancing those. When, you know, when you, if you lose a leader like Freddie, you can't replace a guy like that. So what do you got to do? You got to try and get a, a good character to fit, fit in somewhere, you know, maybe develop a young heart to fill his shoes, but extra uh, leadership player in the forwards or, you know what I mean? You got to account for that stuff. And um, that was two really big voids that we probably didn't, how did the game change for you when you became captain of the Roosters? Um, oh, well, I sort of handled it poorly to, to, you know, to start with. I just one thing that you, I love about coaching is analysis of yourself and um, and, and knowing where you go wrong and, and, and figuring that out. I think I was just too. Well, I was just couldn't understand why people didn't think like me. It took a while to figure that out. And mate, the timing, I felt the pressure of being. Um, Felt like I was by myself in a leadership sense, and then had Brace who was learning, but he was young um, when he'd come in. So, you know, again, just a huge leadership vacuum, and, and I didn't probably get the job done as well as I liked. I think I got better at it over time, but, um, you know, that was a tough couple of years. After those tough couple of years, though, you make the move to Hull. Tell me about making the decision to finally leave the Roosters. Um, yeah, look, we just got to that. Um, again, we had it. Uh, 2008, we had a great year. And then 2009, we had a terrible year, as you know. But um, I just felt like, um, if, you know, I'd been there 10 years. Um, they, I'm, I'm certain they would have they would have wanted to, to move on from me and I needed to move on from them. So I think we both needed a break from each other as much as possible. And, and I felt like uh, I'd, I'd organised to work for the Roosters, but I, I, I needed to go away. And I was supposed to just, I was only just going to go to Hull for one year because I felt like I had a little bit of free left, but I lasted two years and I'm, most enjoyable experience I've had is unbelievably good and um, uh, for myself and the family and footy and friends I've made over there. And then it set me up to work. I was re- I was done. I was cooked by the time I come home and I was ready to get into the, into footy and um, it was, ended up as a huge blessing in disguise and I'm really thankful that the Roosters let me go and do that and I'm really thankful that Paul took me in. Now, mate, mistake me if I'm wrong, but you you played for Hull FC. Now, I believe your father played yep. for the Rovers. That's essentially the Roosters and Souths over there, isn't it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Did you well, cop a bit of stick or what? A little bit, but it doesn't matter if the history doesn't count. If you play for Hull FC, you're going to get stick from Hull KR and vice versa. So it didn't matter too much. They were always going to be off me. That was great playing a couple of derbies. Really good, really good time. Really good experience, and yeah, dad, dad, dad talked me into it. He said, you know, because I was talking about going to England, I said, I just need to get some footy out, and he said, mate, go to Hull, you'll love it. And um, thankfully for me, it ended up being on Hull SV, and it worked out great. Mate, after that, you obviously go into the coaching ranks with the Roosters. We've we've already spoken about it briefly. 
There's just one last thing I want to ask you about. That 2018 grand final, obviously it looks extremely unlikely that Cooper Cronk's going to play and he, he essentially comes from the dead and plays that grand final. Tell me, how did that week unfold? When did you realise, shit, this bloke could actually play this grand final? Oh, no, he shocked the shit out of us, too. Don't worry. Like, he, we all but resigned at the back. And um, right in my head, we are going through all different scenarios, how we are going to play, who we are going to play, and what we are going to do, and all this stuff. And then, I think with um, Steph Brennan, I had a medical to see a, um, a different a doctor for a, a series of injections and, and see if that was going to work in his shoulder and numb the pain. And I remember coming to work the next day and I was just sitting in Robbo's office and I was chatting and Robbo said, kids is playing. And I said, oh, what, huh? And he went, yeah. What um, morning was that, Craig? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember the particulars. I'm pretty poor with... Yeah, okay. Um, look, pretty poor with... Uh, time stamping going backwards as soon as just jump forward too much. But I do remember clearly sitting there going, playing? I just couldn't really come in all bubbly that morning. Yep, I can do it. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm sweet. And I was just going, man, even still, I was just going, no, you can't. It just won't happen. Like, I understand the gravity of the guy's injury. Shoulder blade was broken. Like, it just doesn't, yeah. Unbelievable. Toughest, toughest footy feet I've witnessed. Mate, it must have been a pretty nervous time for you and Trent Robinson coming to that game. Like, obviously, you're playing Melbourne. They're the kings of targeting individual players. Like, obviously, you can't build an entire game plan around targeting a halfback, but you would have, you know, like, I, I, I didn't think Cooper Cronk had to make as many tackles in that game as I expected. I thought it was going to be a brutally tough night at the office for him. I thought they'd just run at him all day. Here's where I differ a little bit, where um, I feel like with, um, with what players want to do, all the criticism of Melbourne, or the criticism of um, other teams and clubs that before, where what they'll say is, oh, how come you didn't target him? How come you didn't target him? And, mate, that's easy to say. If you want to target a guy that stands two or three positions in from the sideline, you're going to divert all your club, your energy, the attack out near the sideline. You're letting our forwards off the hooker. You're not winning the middle. You're not winning the battle. You won't win the battle. So if you want to change... Um, your style of play that you've had for an entire season to get to a grand final and then rock up and go, you know what? Why don't we just draw our attack out here, which you haven't done all year? This doesn't make sense. It's too hard to, you know what I mean? It's too hard to, to change that. Sure, you could ask him some questions there, but, um, you know, we would have, he would have, I think he showed, didn't he? He jumped in front of a couple anyway, didn't he? Oh, for sure, but, mate. He, he didn't yeah. miss all game. Fuck, he's a tough little hombre. Nah. It is, but does that make sense here? Where if you if you're Melbourne, do you throw out what's got you the the big dance in the first place just to target a guy out? And that, that I, I would have thought too. I would have thought too. They they, thought, they wouldn't have known right off the game that he was playing. You kept it under wraps. Tell me when did the playing group find out, and what was the reaction? I imagine it must have made a huge difference in that squad. Again, hindsight, I think it sharpened everyone to to protect him and play a little bit harder. And, and put their best performance in. I think that possibly it gave us a positive advantage in the end. But um, yeah, I, I can't remember the details of how it all happened. But um, just an incredible feat. Like it really was. The guy was shot. He was a shot duck. But it, it, the benefit of everyone inside and outside in protecting him was uh, was huge. And and yeah, maybe it made it surge even harder towards the finish line. I've got a couple of questions from my followers on Instagram. The first one is yep. um, who was the toughest player you came up against? Um, yeah, you know what? I always uh, respected the hell out of Petro Sidney Sleva. 
he's, he's relentless nature. Just every game, rock hard, non-stop, um, no frills. And just every time it's like hitting a rock hard moving body over and over again. And you know, no matter how hard you hit it, it's still going to keep coming at you. <laughs> I think it's unfortunate in the modern game now the way that front rowers are heading that a guy like Petro Seven Receiver like his you know what what he brought to a game of footy you know it's it's almost now unfortunately being overshadowed by your you know your explosive front rowers that are breaking tackles that are offloading constantly it's a yeah. real sign of how much the game has changed isn't it? A bit, but Petro still would have been a damaging player now and and just there's a reason all the teams that he played in over the course of his career were successful. You just got to you can't underestimate what those guys can do. You know that you're having the worst day out, and one of those guys trundle forward. They carried three defenders for an extra ten meters. That could be just the one moment that the rest of the team can capitalize on. You know. Fitzy, last one. I've had a few questions um, about people asking. Apparently, you're into um, some Olympic weightlifting. Is that true? <laughs> I think that's a tee up, to be perfectly honest. I'm probably looking at skinny I am and go, well, he clearly doesn't lift any weights. No, I, um, I've got, I've got rotten shoulders. I need a shoulder replacement on one side and the other one's rotten. So, mate, I, I just surf and some other training and light lifting, but I definitely wouldn't be strong enough to be thrown around Olympic lifts. My shoulders wouldn't handle that. Mate, I'll tell you what, it's a cracking tee up because I've had about six questions about it. Someone's done a special really? on you here. Yeah, and they're, they're all asking me about a carnivore diet you're on. Is that is that true? Or uh, are people talking out of their nah, ass? No, nah, not carnivore, not carnivore. But I just, I've always paid attention to my nutrition. And I, 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 I was a shot duck in like 2006 or seven. I was, when Minnie had his really bad back injury. Yeah. Um, and you'd know Minnie's right into his nutrition as well. What we did was we just really started to research why our bodies were so inflamed and why we're struggling with injuries and can't process inflammation well and, so we just um, got right into a nutrition myself and Minnie and um, we just, you know, focused on just eating the top, you know, really quality ingredients and, and cutting all the shit out and uh, high starches and, and um, you know, complex carbs and just cut all that shit out and basically just end up, I'm not getting a fair bit leaner, but my body just sorted itself out. I ended up lasting another four years too because my injuries weren't so bad. I finally processed all that inflammation and managed hanging there. So, no, I'm not I'm not carnivore, but I definitely try and eat clean. And I love a, I love a surf and a, and a beer. And I'm, I love to, if I'm going to have a few beers in the day, I have an other or a couple of glasses of wine with my wife. And, Sure, I'm eating healthy, you know. I don't want to, don't want to drink and eat poor at the same time, so I like a little glass of quiet beer or wine here and there, so I eat good to make sure I can um, stay, stay healthy. Mate, you spoke about Anthony Minicello in that 06 time. Did um did yep. what happened to Minicello, you know, all of his injuries, did that give you a bit of a scare and, like, sort of force you towards changing your ways as far as diet and everything goes? Oh, yeah. It did watch an intro. I was busted myself. I had a really bad ankle. I couldn't train. I had bad Achilles, bad ankle. I had surgery on it. Couldn't run for four months. Um, couldn't train for most of the year. It doesn't see. I was just the roosters were just looking at me, going, "I'm just worn out." Off the back of the two, three, four, five seasons, you all, all with grand finals, Origin, Guru tours at the end of them. We just had too much footy in a short space of time, and getting the. 30 years old, so they were just looking at me and going, I'm going to retire this guy's busted. So I went right over panic and if I don't figure out what's wrong with me, I will get retired. And fortunately for me, I um, 2007 started to sort all that out and then 
by 2008, I ended up playing for New South Wales and Australia again. So it was a huge, it was a huge turning point for me. Mate, I uh, I congratulate you on everything you've achieved in your illustrious playing career and the fantastic things you're doing at the Roosters now. I can't wait until you get a head coaching gig somewhere. Really looking forward to it. Thanks for coming on today, mate. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, pleasure. Nice chatting, and um, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Fitzy, mate.